Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, dairy specialist Martina Gormley gives information on the labour-focused farms that have measured their labour input from February to July of this year. And some of the key findings, including the key efficiency areas on the farms, milking facilities, compact calving, number of groups of stock and work organisation. And I first asked Martina about the reason behind the weekly updates. So Emma Louise, from talking to students and reading a recent research um, on the perception of working on dairy farms, you know, it became very clear that the perception out there is that, you know, a lot of farmers are working really long hours um, with no time away from the farm. Now, this perception, you know, can have a serious consequences in terms of the of the future of the dairy sector. So from my own point of view, from working with a large number of farmers over the last few years in Chagas, I can see a big change on many farms in terms of having, you know, a very good work-life balance. And so I wanted to show what is happening on some of these farms. And, and Martina, there were six farmers included in this weekly update. How were these farms selected? So the, the six farmers were selected pretty much in terms of their attitude to labour efficiency and, you know, creating a business that lends itself to a good work-life balance. So really it was the farmers were selected on their, on their attitude. And talk through the method used to measure labour, like how did they account for their time? Okay, so look, we wanted to keep this um, fairly straightforward and simple. So um, there was a timesheet uh, given to the six farmers at the beginning, and each week um, each farmer recorded their own hours, excluding their breaks, and family and non-family help, again, excluding breaks. Um, They were also asked to record their milking um, start times, particularly in the evening, and uh, to note whether the contractor had been on the farm in that week. Um, So then each week we had a call, probably around 30 minutes, where I would capture the the data from the timesheets and just, I suppose, discuss a little bit more in terms of how the week went and, uh, you know, what tasks uh, that the farmer would have carried out in that week. And some information, Martina, in relation to those farms, like average herd size, um, you know, geography, where are they located in the country? Okay, so um, the farmers range from 60 cows up to 145 cows. So on average, you're probably looking at around 120 cows uh, for the six farmers. Um, And they were located, so um, we had a, a farmer in, we had a farmer in Mead, we had a farmer in Galway, uh, Cork, Kerry and uh, Washford. So a, a huge, um, I suppose, scope. We're, we're ca- capturing a lot of the country there. The, the six main co-ops were, were captured there. When we look then to labour efficiency, you know, what KPIs were identified throughout this study? So really, Emma-Louise, there's three KPIs from a labour efficiency point of view that, that we would focus on. The first one being hours per week. OK, so, you know, it's it's up to every farmer, I suppose, to record or to, tar- to set their own target in terms of where they would like to be. Um, and it's quite common um, that a farmer would set the target to be kind of 45 to 50 hours per week um, of work. So that's the first one. The second KPI would be hours per cow. 
So this is the total hours on the farms. So that would include the farmer, um, family or non-family help, and the contractor. Okay, so add up your total hours and divide it into your cow number, which would give you, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, hours per cow figure. The the target out there are, I suppose, the most efficient farms um, from Justine Deming's study would show to be around the 22 hours per cow. So that's the kind of the target there. And the third KPI then is, is in terms of, I suppose, the, the number of times that the um, farmer would take um, time away from the farm. So maybe it's a half day or a full day or holidays or so on and so forth. That's another really good indicator it's e easy to capture in terms of you know can the farm run efficiently um, with the farm owner not being there and looking to the six months that you've analyzed how did the farmers perform okay so we've broken it up uh, so far into spring and summer so in terms of hours per week uh, for spring excluding one of the farmers uh, i should should note is a once a day milking herd so his hours are much lower than the rest of the farmers in the group so excluding that farmer the twice a day farmers their hours for the spring averaged at 57 hours okay and again for summer uh, their their hours averaged at 50 hours so when you combine the both for the six month period from we'll say the first of february to the end of july that's 53 hours per week that the farmer worked. Um, and I know that, if, you know, from, from talking to a lot of people out there, the perception would be that farmers, particularly in the springtime, would be working, you know, anthem from 80 to 100 hours. Okay. So this certainly wasn't the case um, for these farmers. Then in terms of the second um, KPI that we discussed, the hours per cow, Again, when we look at the six months, the farmers averaged out at 16 hours per cow. And Martina, how does this compare to other studies? So the number of hours worked, say, in the springtime at 57 hours, how does that compare to what we've seen in the past? Yeah, so if we compare this to a recent study there with, with Connor Hogan and Marion Beecher last year, um, where they would have um, recorded hours um, for a large number of farms from again the same period as we're talking about now February to um, the end of July um, these farmers would compare very favor favorably to the um, I suppose the most efficient farmers uh, on that study so um, if we look at the hours per cow um, from that study again very similar for the spring you were looking at kind of around 55 hours and for, for the summer time, you know, just under 50 hours per week for the most efficient farmers on average. And in terms then of hours per cow, um, for that study, the average was 18 hours per cow. Okay. But that study included the contractor. Okay. Whereas um, the, the update with these farmers isn't including the contractor. So look, all in all, I'd say it would be pretty similar. That perception is there, uh, Martina. We're working, you know, uh, dairy farmers in the spring are working 80 to 100 hours. And sometimes, you know, you're talking 100 hours plus. What is the difference between the perception or, you know, the reality for some farmers at 80 hours per week and the farmers that you were looking at that are working average of 57 hours? 
Yeah, so look, I had some really good um, discussions with the six farmers in relation to, um, from their own experience, um, you know, what are the key things that are delivering labour efficiency and therefore, you know, a reduction in hours uh, worked on the farm. So um, looking back over, you know, from February to the end of July, um, the, the common trends among the six farmers would be, firstly, uh, the milking practice. So uh, what, what, what they would have discussed there would be the, the parlour. Okay, so in terms of the uh, number of rows of cows being milked. Now, all, all six farmers said in the past that they would have been milking a lot more rows than the target of, we'll say, eight or less. Um, but uh, now most of them are at a stage where they're at that target that they want of eight or less rows. And they were saying that this has a massive impact um, from a time point of view because you're milking, you know, over 300 days a year, twice a day. So it really adds up. The other thing, again, in connection to milking, which was a really big one for the farmers, was having a set finish time. Okay, so they all had a set morning milking, but particularly the evening milking time. That they found that that was really key to put structure on the day, and also I think they they felt that you know time expands to fill the day when you don't have a set time for your milking, and um, that you end up yourself been quite inefficient. The second one that, that came from the farmers was a compact calving and you know calving at a time where the cows can go to grass. So that was another big one for them that really they felt the you know the target of 80% plus calving in six weeks um, that it really set up the farm for the rest of the year, particularly from May to January. And that the farmer really reaped, um, I suppose, the rewards and the time off the farm because of the intensifying the, the calving in spring. Now, they, they also noted, I suppose, that, that none of them had everything in place in terms of, of infrastructure, farmyard infrastructure, when they hit the, their own you know, target of 80% plus for six weeks. But they found that planning and having extra people on the farm was critical to overcome any, I suppose, you know, inefficiencies in terms of, of lack of facilities or that. And within a few years, they, you know, got their farmyards up to, up to speed in terms of what they need. And, and they're quite in a good place today. The third area that the farmers felt very strong in terms of labour efficiency was uh, the number of groups of stock on the farm. So starting off, you know, in springtime, I suppose, with the, the selling calves early and having a very good relationship with the calf buyer, that that is absolutely crucial to make that work. And secondly, then um, from past experience, where some of the farmers would have would have been calving, um, you know, over two seasons, um, they they now felt uh, you know that having one calving season, maybe perhaps contract rearing, um, has really helped in terms of reducing the number of stock on the farm and reducing the workload. And the last area, Emma Louise that the farmers found to reduce uh, the hours worked on the farm was it was in the area of kind of work organization and machinery usage. So 
they, you know, they were all saying, even at regardless to what stage they are in their farming career, that there is always development work going on in the farm. And that looking back in the past, they ended up doing extra hours of work because of this development work. Um, and really, you know, after a good discussion with them, some of them said, you know, we were only a hindrance. We we're only in the way, really, of the builder or the contractor, so on and so forth. And what, the, what they have learned is, you know, again, back to planning at the beginning, planning the job out properly, what exactly needs to be done, who needs to be there. And then perhaps just checking in on the contractor maybe two or three times for 15 minutes throughout the day just to make sure everything is going to plan. And look, they, they were saying on occasions that where the farmer is needed to, you know, drive a machine for a few hours or whatever, that the key thing there is that somebody is either in place to milk the cows at the set time, or if it's easier for the farmer, that the farmer would um, hire someone in, maybe a neighbor, a student, something like that, to take over on the machine and the farmer will go off at the normal time, be it half three, four o'clock, and milk the cows and be finished on time. Um, in terms of, of the you know, machinery usage and the contractor, the contractor featured a lot with the, with the six farmers throughout the six months. Um, and again, uh, similar to having a good relationship with the calf buyer, uh, the group felt it was very important to have a good relationship with the contractor, um, to you know, ring the contractor in advance of, of any work taking place. And again, in times where the contractor is very busy and can come um, now and again when, when you'd like, um, that they felt, you know, they all had a certain level of machinery themselves, which was important, and that they had no problem in getting somebody else to drive that machine to, you know, maybe blanket spread fertilizer or whatever it, it would may be. But what it meant, it was the farmer was not taking on additional work. And then you know, maybe losing focus on milking the cows or grassland management and losing out somewhere else. So Emma-Louise, that's the four key practices that the six farmers felt really help um, from a labour efficiency point of view and reducing hours of work. And just to delve into that a little bit more, Martina, um, you know, you mentioned the parlour facilities and, you know, the number of rows being milked. And I, I, you, you've, I suppose, spelled it out for us and we can't underestimate it. You know, you're going to be milking for at least 300 days in the year and on a twice a day farm. This is a task that will need to be done twice a day. Looking to the facilities, what did you see on those six farms? So in terms of the uh, milking facilities, the average for the group uh, was eight rows of cows that was going through the parlour. And, you know, the farmers did use um, some technologies, um, like, for example, uh, the automatic calf feeder was on one of the farmers' farms. Um, But really, you know, having the discussion with the farmers, what they felt was, you know, the parlour didn't need to be a high-spec parlour. A basic parlour, you know, would do from a labour efficiency point of view, would work very well. Um, But the key thing was the number of rows. So, again, it was something that um, 
throughout the, I suppose, the last number of years, the farmers have worked very hard to be in a position um, to to borrow uh, for for, for um, you know a, a good milking parlour that that uh, accommodates for the number of cows and reduces the number of rows. Um, and again, as I said earlier on. The, all the six farmers admitted that they didn't have, you know, a cubicle per cow or, you know, the ideal number of, um, you know, calving pins and so on and so forth. But they always put a plan around it. So, for example, where um, the farms didn't have enough um, calf pins, um, they had really good deals done and relationships built with, with calf buyers. Um, and they'd also brought in additional help to accommodate, you know, the, the spring peak workload. Um, and, um, you know, so again, it's just, just back to planning. So where there is a downfall or a lack of facilities or so on and so forth, there was a plan in place of how to, to deal with that. And looking then, Martina, you're talking a lot about, you know, time spent away from the farm. And that's one of the measures of labour efficiency. And I suppose the ability for a farmer to have a good set up that somebody can come in and, and relieve them of their duties in terms of milking and other farm tasks. Do you see a link between labour efficiency and the ability of a farm to attract labour and retain that labour on farm? Uh, yes, I, I I think so, Emma Louise. Um, because the, the the farmers, I suppose that I I speak to a lot in 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 terms of of attracting staff and and retaining staff, um, would be very conscious of labour efficiency, and a lot of them would would say that while it you know it it absolutely isn't the most simplest task out there because you know we are working in a very competitive market um to attract people but the they would wouldn't see it as a you know a task that is very difficult um and they'd be fairly confident going forward that they're they have their farm in a very good position and and themselves i suppose to attract people to the farm um but I think just, you know, going back to the, the six farmers and one thing that would have stood out to me from them, they all have part time help on, on the farm. Um, and when they go from the farm, there is no phone calls. You know, they're not being contacted. Where is this or something went wrong or so on, so forth. Um, and they, they spend a lot of time away from the farm is that their approach, they have um, quite a flexible approach. So, for example, the person that's coming in to milk the cows, they would have them text beforehand and say, you know, the cows are going into paddock number five um, this evening. And, you know, in the morning they can go into paddock number seven. And what they would say is that they would say to the person, you know, err on the side of caution. If you feel that, you know, you don't want to put them back to that field, it might be a little bit tight from, from a grass point of view. Don't worry about it move them on to paddock seven in the evening i'll sort it out the next day myself so they have that flexible approach um and it makes then the person that's coming in milking they're at ease they're not worried that oh no am i wrong am i right am i going to be you know given out to because i i made the wrong call in relation to the grass um and what it means for the farmer because they have set the boundaries that look error on the side of caution cow has to be fed don't worry if you leave too much behind uh, what it means for them is that they can go off for the evening or for the weekend 
and not have to worry or stress about anything. So I think that's really important to, um, you know, attracting people on the farm and, you know, ensuring that people stay, stay working on the farm, I suppose. Looking across the process of the last six months with these farmers, you know, have you seen an increased awareness of the labour input on the farm, the amount of hours they're working and have they improved and reduced the amount of labour input on the farms as time has gone on? Um, so, yes, Emma-Louise, I definitely think um, the, the group of six farmers are probably more conscious now of their hours and, you know, where are they spending their hours? Um, so, for example, a few of the farmers, you know, of their own accord started actually breaking down their hours. So if, if it was 60 hours for the week, they started breaking it down themselves because they got very interested to see where am I spending this six hour or 60 hours, you know? Um, so definitely the monitoring of the, the hours has really got the, the, the farmers to focus more on where they're spending their time. Um, and, you know, one observation from, from two of the farmers was that they were really surprised at the amount of non-farming activity that they were taking during the day. So, uh, you know, in terms of their breaks um, and, you know, maybe involvement with, with, you know, bringing kids to activities or school or wherever it may be. So they were very surprised in relation to the amount of time that was spent on that. And they were saying, you know, from the outset, people looking in would say, God, you're starting your job at whatever, six or seven in the morning, and you're not finished until six or seven in the evening. That's a long day. But what they were saying is we're actually spending three or four hours per day at non-farming activity. So again, they were quite surprised at that. And I think they were ple pleasantly surprised really because they were saying, God, it shows the flexibility of the job. And it's it's quite a, uh, I suppose, a, a bonus really um, to, to be in your own employer and having uh, an, a, you know, a efficient farm in place. To finish up, Martina, for, for dairy farmers who want to get a handle of the hours worked, um, whether it's, you know, on a weekly basis or it's across the seasons. Can you give us uh, one or two tips that you would have to start that process? Should it be a measure across the 12 months of the year or could you do it maybe a week a month? I think to to start off, Emma-Louise, um, particularly for maybe the first year to capture the baseline data, I think it would be a good practice to record your data like these six farmers every week. But again, keep it simple. So your hours um, each day and uh, family, non-family hours. You could leave the contractor out of it if you want it or add the contractor in if it's easy to do so. That's up to yourself. Um, so just those four um, you know, uh, hours or you know, collecting those alone will give a lot of data, uh, particularly over the year. And I think by doing it over the year, you'll get to see uh, you know, your, your, your working day from, the, the, you know, spring, summer, autumn and winter. And what you'll see on the labour efficient farms, it's like the steps of the stairs. Um, the highest is spring and next, you know, in, in summer they reduce, autumn they reduce further and winter they reduce more. Um, so I think um, that would be um, advisable for the first year. And I think coming from that data, just recording those four, um, you know, hours, um, that rich data will come from that in terms of 
navigating, uh, getting you to think in terms of how you're spending the hours and where the inefficiencies, I suppose, could be. And I think then after that, it really should be a work in progress in terms of, you know, putting checks in place um, in relation to the inefficiencies and how to overcome the weaknesses in the farm from a labour efficiency point of view uh, and what barriers are there. Like if we, if we think of any other, um, you know, practices out there, you know, in terms of animal breeding or grassland or animal health, we're constantly throughout the year monitoring how we're performing from breeding, grassland, health, so on and so forth. And, and we spend a lot of time discussing uh, those areas throughout the year. So I don't, uh, labour efficiency should be no different. So it, it really should be uh, continuous uh, development and improvement in this area because really like people are our most important resource um, nobody's farm is going to run without people and the six farmers that that um, gave up their I suppose their time to to uh, give the updates every week they were the average size farm and they all had help they all had somebody else in the background helping on the farm be it with them or while they were away or so on and so forth so there's no getting away from that that's great thank you martina thanks emma louise that's it for this week's episode of the dairy edge podcast and my thanks to martina gormley for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can listen on apple and google podcasts as well as spotify and for more information go to the chagas website at chagas.ie I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.